Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to The Evolver, sponsored by The Alchemist Kitchen, hosted by Ken Jordan. We live in remarkable times. Something extraordinary is happening for more than a few of us, and I've had the privilege of a front row seat to observe it, a view that not many have been as lucky as me to see. For the last decade or so, I've been working with a company named Evolver, which I co-founded. It's a consciousness hub for the global transformational community. We publish an online magazine called Reality Sandwich. We do online learning through Evolver Learning Lab. We have a space, the Alchemist Kitchen, which is a botanical dispensary and tonic bar off the Bowery in Lower Manhattan that you can find online as well. These are all outgrowths of a scene that goes from Burning Man to the mindfulness movement to the expanding interest in deep yogic practices to the recent mainstream flirtation with shamanism and psychedelics, where people are connecting to spirit often through unorthodox and anomalous experiences, in a heartfelt and authentic way. For many of us, this sudden crack-in-the-sky moment can be a shock. It may have happened at a rave on ecstasy, when suddenly you're seeing auras, or during a company-sponsored meditation, when a brilliant light gets switched on inside your head, or a blast of kundalini energy shoots up your spine during your regular Thursday night Ashtanga class. It can strike like a lightning bolt. And suddenly, our lives have been rearranged. The old stories no longer fit, and we look for a way to make sense of a world that has suddenly grown so strange, but far more beautiful than we ever imagined possible. This scene is emerging without the familiar Western cynicism that we know so well. It's never fully without irony, but the irony quotient has definitely dropped. Most remarkable to me, is how the typical attitude towards spiritual experiences that simply discards them as tangential to what really matters, what so-called serious people think is important, just isn't present in the same way. A lot of people are getting tapped on the shoulder and are having profound visionary experiences. From my particular perch, I've been privy to personal stories like the VP of a major global financial institution who met his indigenous shaman teacher one weekend during an ayahuasca ceremony, walked into his boss's office the following Monday morning to resign from his seven-figure corporate gig to study with the shaman full-time and eventually become a curandero himself, or the senior advertising executive, who after a particularly powerful kundalini yoga experience, realized that she could not continue to sell the bullshit that she had been selling and had to do something more in alignment with her true values. I come to this as a committed secular materialist for most of my life, without the least interest in anything spiritual. I didn't know what the word spiritual meant. I thought it meant something like compassionate or empathetic. Then I had a profound tantric awakening experience, totally unexpected. One spring in Berkeley, California, when I was working on a keynote for a technology conference where I was speaking, 
I walked outside in the afternoon and suddenly found myself completely entranced by the plants on the street that were somehow talking to me. They didn't actually use words, but they got my attention. I had not taken any substance. I was not close to a psychological break. I was content with my life and how I understood the world to be, that the brain creates reality. It's all mechanical and rational, that consciousness emerges like a lucky miracle from the biochemistry of physical matter out of a universe of chaos, that intelligence is a strictly human trait, that what goes on inside the skull is all that can be verified and probably all there is. That's essentially the secular materialist worldview that most of us were raised with, and it's the worldview that our society propagates through all its social and political structures. Its assumptions form the ground that we walk on and that we base our practical life decisions on. I suddenly had a crack in that reality. The plants were talking to me. I was shocked. But the state I was in was beyond shock because I was also entranced. I was fully absorbed by the active intelligence of nature. It was an extraordinary experience, and it led to powerful dreams, which led to other mystical zaps of a variety of modalities. I had my first trip to Burning Man around that time. That sure helped open things up. One thing led to another, and I became aware of a reality that is far more nuanced, beautiful, and full of potential than anything I had the slightest clue was available to me before. I also found that my experience was happening in parallel with other people who were also getting tapped on the shoulder by something powerful, each in their own way. And I'd be having these incredible personal conversations with truly inspiring people about their own awakening experiences and how they bring that awakened awareness into what they do in the world. Those conversations would help to fire me up and keep me dedicated to pursuing my own path. But I was aware that these were not public conversations. They were not widely shared. It's always been assumed that the subtleties of your own spiritual experiences are not meant to be talked about in public. They weren't meant to be shared outside of a small select group, usually your fellow practitioners of Tibetan Buddhist meditation or Chinese energy healing or ayahuasca plant spirit medicine, whatever it is that's calling you. That's the crew you would talk to about the visions you've had, the shadow material that snuck up and whacked you, and your integration process, that the realization that rocked your world into your daily life practice and enable you to be your true self at your best. That's it. You would call it there. You wouldn't talk about this with almost anyone else. But I was having these conversations with an awful lot of fascinating people. And what was becoming apparent to me is that there were now so many folks out there who were experiencing the same thing in their own lives that there's a receptive community ready to participate in these conversations. That's the purpose of this podcast, to bring frank, unfiltered conversation about what it is to connect to spirit to the public. Our guest today is Aubrey Marcus. You may know Aubrey from his frequent appearances on the Joe Rogan podcast or from his new New York Times bestselling book, Own Your Day, Own Your Life, Optimized Practices for Waking, Working, Learning, Eating, Training, Playing, Sleeping, and Sex. He's the CEO of the biohacking company, Onnit, which he partners on with Joe Rogan. 
and he's the producer and co-director of two documentaries about plant spirit medicine, Ayahuasca and Hachuma. In this interview, we discuss the role of sacred plants and psychedelics in Aubrey's own personal awakening, and also talk about other teachings that have been important to him of having a profound impact on his life, including the work he did with the books of Paul Selling. We also talk about his own sense of personal mission to wake people up and the role of his new book, his first, as an extension of that mission. I think you'll find Aubrey to be a remarkable, heartfelt speaker, articulate about his own experience, and a person who has an inspiringly clear sense of what he's here to do in the world. I hope you enjoyed this conversation as much as I did. Part of the vision for Evolver included an online marketplace where products made by community members could be offered to others. The Alchemist Kitchen grew out of this marketplace. It's a botanical dispensary that offers the highest quality whole plant remedies, botanical medicines, and beauty products from the best artisanal herbal makers from across the country. You can find herbal products on the Alchemist Kitchen site to help you sleep better, reduce pain, boost energy, find calm, think sharper, and much more. And if you happen to be in New York City, come by the Alchemist Kitchen flagship location. It's at 21 East 1st Street, between the Bowery and 2nd Avenue, on the border between the East Village and Soho. You can have a state-changing herbal elixir from the Tonic Bar and chat with one of the staff herbalists about the products we've curated and what might be best for you. In my own experience, as I began to be aware of what I eat, cut out processed foods and refined sugar, and get in better shape through yoga, etc. My body's sensitivity to what I put into it increased. A lot. And I discovered that the right kind of plant medicine could be more effective than pharmaceuticals while being gentler on the system. And I started to pay attention more to what my body was telling me, which took some time because I grew up eating the worst kinds of junk and assumed that feeling bloated and sluggish was just part of the human condition. I discovered how the judicious use of plant allies could help to boost my system and shift me from worrying about warding off illness to maintaining a high level of wellness. On thealchemistkitchen.com, you'll find a blog with lots of information about herbal wellness and an assortment of products that will inspire you to see the connection between your body and the plant kingdom in a whole new way. The Alchemist Kitchen is devoted to the power of plants. And if you stop by the spot on East 1st Street, mention the Evolver podcast and get 10% off any purchase of herbal remedies or CBD. Aubrey, thank you for being here. Let's start by exploring what it means to you to live life at its fullest and most rewarding. Well, I think the, you know, this goes back to a, a vision that I had actually on the on the medicine. So I was on, I was on Wachuma and down in South America and Peru. What's Wachuma? Wachuma is San Pedro, uh-huh. and it's the traditional, more traditional indigenous name before they renamed it and Catholicized it and, and called it St. Peter as it was, it was guarding the gates of heaven, which certainly it feels like when you're on that medicine. And it's the, a cactus. It's a cactus. Yeah. And a very serotonergic, um, for those people who haven't experienced it feels something between 
combining psilocybin and MDMA into an experience. It has the visual component, uh, mostly closed-eyed, some open-eyed, but um, and then just a really hard-opening experience. And I had this, I had this vision of a bunch of people that were like wind-up nutcrackers, and everybody was moving around all automatic. And as far as I could look, everybody was moving around automatic, and so was I. I was automatically moving around, and then finally I started to slow the mechanisms of my own movement down and look at my body and say, wait a minute, why am I doing all this? Why am I, why am I doing all of these automatic things, all of this unconscious programming, all of these things that are driven by fear and driven by greed and driven by validation? And I stopped and I just sat down for a second and then... Eventually, after sitting still with myself in this vision, I reached out and I touched somebody else on the shoulder who was also going through this automatic motion. And then they shook out of it and they're like, whoa, what the hell am I doing? And then I saw that person touch somebody else and that person touch somebody else and that person touch somebody else. And to me, that's always been this guiding light of like what I'm here to do. And I think what a lot of us are here to do is to become aware of the unconscious and subconscious programs that prevent us from being fully aware, fully empowered, full, you know, having full agency over our lives so that we can choose how we want to play this game so that, that this game isn't played out like some tragic movie where we're continually driven to seek our fears and seek our validations and seek the lessons that we need to learn, but we can actually intentionally go through our lives like, you know, like heroes. I have levels of fully aware. Right. Right. There's the... Oh yeah, Jocelyn just walked in now, went into the bathroom and walked back out back to the other office. Right. Mm-hmm. Again, kind of noticing certain things that are happening. There's some rumbling outside. There's a bunch <laughs> of trucks. We're in Manhattan, we're off of Houston Street, it's loud in the background. That's just the way you know, there's I'm aware of certain things. Mm-hmm. Then there's the aware of, you know, why am I doing what I'm doing with my life at a basic level? Is this in you know, am I in harmony with or in, in, in alignment with what it, what's really available to me as a person in the world that's my highest expression. And then there's this other level of aware, which is actually kind of what I want to yeah. get at a little bit, which is we're all interconnected in this wild way. Yeah. When you're thinking of fully aware, where are you? Well, that's certainly a big part of it, right? Like, you know, that connection to source, that connection to the universal, that that connection that we seem to plug in and, and unplug, plug in and unplug, depending on the circumstance and situation. And hopefully as we move through time, we stay more and more connected. You know, we're able to listen to those small whispers that come from our higher self or come from source and continue to allow that to guide us without blocking and saying, nope, I, the ego say, nope, I got this. I'm, I'm under, I got this under control. Don't worry about this, <laughs> you know, intergalactic soul traveler. I got this. I was born a few years ago. I know this world and I'm going to figure it out. And, uh, you know, so that's certainly a part of it. And then the other part is really getting down into the interior universe and understanding what are those forces that drive you? What are the forces that have driven you since you were a child? You know, what are those things that have happened to you and the circumstances that you were raised in that are still affecting you now? You know, like I've become, even through all the plant medicine, I started my plant medicine journey when I was 18, did a vision quest out in the mountains and 
it's been you know nearly 20 years and it took till last year that i realized that i was you know playing out a same fear pattern that was developed from my father with pretty much every male figure in my life you know like i wouldn't fully trust them because my father was erratic with his anger and it was extremely hard to predict so you know any one thing could set him off any amount of days later so i never really trusted my communications nor did i trust my friendships with male friends but i was because i had a really you know, easy and comfortable relationship with my mother, I was, I was always able to get along with women really well. And it's not that I couldn't get along with men, I just never trusted them. Wow. And then so I started to unravel that. I was like, what, why is this? Like, why can't I feel comfortable in any male friendship? And I was like, oh, well, it's probably some shit from my dad. So and then this I really is... started to look at that. And that's another level of self-awareness. Right. So this is like a year ago? This is like a year ago. Yeah, and I've been talking about it on some other podcasts, and there's more stuff even now. Yeah. I'm 37 years old, and I've been on the fucking path. You know, I've been doing the work, and oh, I'm still this... blindsided by how little I actually know, not only about the universe, but about myself. I got a bunch of years on you, man, and this does not stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. There is no conclusion to that, you know, to that journey. Yeah. There's always going to be this other level. But so then there's a real question of like awareness and being totally connected. Like, so some of it, let's just, I'm really curious for you. You said you thought through what, what, your relationship with your dad, mm-hmm. right? And actually I heard you did an incredible conversation with Tim Ferriss about this on mm-hmm. his podcast. And I just recommend people go check that out. I don't want to rehash that here necessarily. It's a really beautiful Thank you. conversation. Were you thinking through these things? And you started to really kind of come to some kind of logical conclusion in terms of your awareness? Or was it a feeling thing? Was there a body thing going on? You know, this was uh, a lot of times people think that, you know, all of your all of your kind of epiphany moments happen when you're on psychedelics. If you do psychedelics, all of them come on psychedelics. And that's not really the case. Psychedelics open this channel that allows this constant kind of communication. And... um, you know, really this awareness started to come through a friendship that I have with uh, Kyle Kingsbury, who's uh, now, you know, one of my best, you know, he is my best male friend. He's a guy also been on the medicine path, a former UFC fighter, just a great guy, but he just really leads with his heart. He's about as secure and secure a human being as I've ever met in my life, like as stable as heart opened and as like, he's just a giant, he's a mountain of a man. And as my friendship with him developed and I still found myself, you know, kind of at arm's length, I was like, there's something fucked up with me because this guy, I could trust, I could trust him to the end of the earth. So you're asking yourself, that you're, talking to, your, you're talking I'm, to your friends about this? Your no, girlfriend? I'm just, I'm really, yeah, I did talk to Whitney about it. Yeah, mm-hmm. but I was, I'm also just like, you know, he'd give me a big hug and I'd be like, yeah, okay, that's enough. Yep, yep, right. Now, you've always been, you've known him for a long time? No, I haven't known him for that long. But I think he was so the example of someone that there was no question. I had no evidence possible that I could present that there was any reason not to trust him. And so any feeling of separation that I was feeling, I knew at that point, I was like, this is on me. This is 100% on me. So how did you ask yourself this question? What was your process? Well, it was after we were hanging out one time, and he gave me this big old hug. And I was like, fuck, I was uncomfortable 
with that hug. And that doesn't make, and I, and I think back and I was like, I've never been com- really comfortable with any hug from a guy. And I was like, but especially with him, like, what is, what is the reason why? Why, why is that? And, and that's because that, because I realized at that point that it had to be me. It wasn't the world anymore. It had to be me. And then so I started really looking at it and started really unpacking that and then surrendering to the truth of, you know, what, you know, what my childhood situation was. And then once I was aware, then you can start relaxing and just kind of naturally opening it. How did you ask that question of yourself? Was that just, hey, I'm walking in the park? Yeah, it just becomes, it, it just becomes you, present. You it didn't, just, yeah, you didn't just do be, like a special like mm-hmm. retreat for this. You no, didn't no, go like to the mountains for three days and really work through it. No, it's just when something enters my awareness, then it's there with me in all the quiet spots. So when I'm journaling at night, I'll write about it. When I'm, I'll think about it, I'll mull it over. My brain is always kind of like working. So it's like starts the, starts this cascade of thought and awareness that eventually, you know, is a pattern that I continue to work on. So the next time, next time we're hanging out, I was like, all right, more trust. You know, more trust, more openness, less guardedness. And then next time, more trust, more openness, more guard, you know, less guardedness. Did you talk to him about this? Did he know you were going through this? Uh, No, I don't think I really, I don't even think I really mentioned, I think maybe I mentioned it later, but this was just a process that I knew for me, he he didn't have to change anything, you know, and I didn't want to even put it in his head to make any, make any alteration of his behavior because I just had to adapt. I had to adapt to that. And, and then, uh, yeah, through time, you know, it's been incredibly like way, way, way more comfortable. And and that's unraveled in just a different degree of comfort in communication and hanging out and just friendship. I just feel closer to my friends now than I had ever before. And it started with just simple awareness. And then, you know, I've done plenty of practices throughout, you know, since then that have kind of helped illuminate different facets of it. But really the first key was that initial awareness, that willing to put all of the gaze onto myself, to hold that mirror up and really, you know, with ruthless honesty, still full of love, but ruthless honesty, take a look at myself and say, all right, what's going on here? Man, that's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it is. To actually it is, like yeah. say, oh, I got an issue. I got this problem, <laughs> you know. Right. Like, so you feel like psychedelics helped you develop the capacity to pursue that kind of understand like um, that approach undoubtedly because psychedelics actually opened up the perspective shift that even allows me to be a self-observer like i'm not even sure that i would have been able to step aside of my ego enough to even observe myself and observe the ego if it wasn't for psychedelics shining a light on who i really am and what my ego is and what my body is like it allowed me the vantage point to kind of stretch those things apart and take a look at all the different pieces so that I actually have a perspective to observe from and I don't know if I would ever got that without psychedelics so do you have a psychedelic practice that you pursue over time do you think about it methodically or is it just sort of like oh man I got a call guy's got some acid I should just run out (laughs) this party you know, it's I've, as I said, it's been almost 20 years, and it's, I've been on the path for a long time. And at this point, um, sometimes there's certain things that I'm called to to work on personally. But a lot of times this is about, you know, one of the priorities for my life now is, you know, kind of parlaying on what I was saying earlier, is building deeper relationships with the people I really care about. So, 
my friends, my girlfriends, everybody who's really important to me in my life, I want to just build those relationships. And so I find that a lot of the journeys that I take are almost journeys with key people that I really want to experience something more with, like go, you know, back to that kind of ritualistic tribal sense where you all sit down in the dark room and you drink the cup and you blow out the candle. I mean, that's an incredibly bonding experience. And I think for me, it's really about the friendships and the kinships that I have with the people in the room as much as anything now, because I do feel that psychedelics have given me the tools to really hone in on the issues that I need to hone in on. And so I don't need to continually run to them to illuminate new problems. I got plenty of problems I'm aware of <laughs> and plenty of ways that I can start to work through those. And, uh, and certainly the psychedelics still help. But for me, it's more about, you know, bonding with those people I love. Right. Because there's a, you know, there's a dictum you kind of hear a lot about, Listen, especially from folks from who were the early meditators in, you know, in the States who started taking acid maybe in the 60s and 70s, found the meditation practice, stopped doing psychedelics, and then the line that they use is, when you get the message, you can hang up the phone, right? You don't need to keep doing psychedelics if you're going to develop a real spiritual practice. Psychedelics are just an opener. That's not my experience. No, it keeps opening more. Yeah. It keeps opening more and more, deeper levels. And I think it's... Uh, I, that's great for people who can do that. I'm too thick-headed and too dumb. I feel the same <laughs> I, way. Too, I like way I, too thick. I'm yeah. way too thick. I can't I do it too easily. <laughs> you know, so I need to get whacked on the head every so, once in a while. Exactly with a couple how grabs I, a psilocybin. That's exactly how I talk about it. It's just like man, I got to get hit in the head. Yeah. If I don't get hit in the head, it's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> so, how have you found your psychedelic experiences have changed over 20 years? Well. <clears throat> You know, it's um, and I ask that I ask that because yeah, when you start, lots unfamiliar, and you can go in a certain place, but it doesn't necessarily like, you know, it's not always. I mean, it can be really mind blowing, but then it's like, where's the context? And when, sure. as you go deeper with a practice, things really do change, right? I've been fortunate in that out of the gate, my very first experience was impeccable. I mean, it was with a shaman in the mountains, drinking a mushroom tea, fully, like full ceremony. And that's how I was inducted into it. And then every time I've drank Peru, drank ayahuasca, it's been in Peru with the, with the true maestro, Gordandero. And, and like, I've really kept to the ritual, ritualized path. And that isn't to say that I haven't done some mushrooms at a festival or some MDMA at a festival or, you know, done some acid and just cruised around. Like, I still, I've had those experiences as well, but I've, I learned early the value of set and setting and the value of the right practitioner, you know, the right provider, the right medicine at the right time. And I've really, you know, kind of stuck to that. So that's been a really helpful guide and something that I always recommend to everybody. Like you have to be very careful with your situation, with your setting, with the medicine, make sure that you're not just doing this haphazardly because it's not a panacea. It's not always going to be helpful, you know, and there's lots of times where you can steer into really deep water that if you don't have someone, you know, a lifeguard there to help get you out, you know, it's going to be really challenging. So I've been fortunate with that. But what I've, what I've seen is that, you know, I'll go through periods where I think, 
oh, you know, I got my shit figured out. You know, this is going to be no big deal. And then I'll go into a ceremony and then something will hit me and I'll be like, oh my God, I'm so dumb. <laughs> I, was, I was just, I was a scared little kid before this. And then I'll, it'll feel like I evolved an entire lifetime, you know, by the time I'm out. Like, wow. Aubrey was so cute before this ceremony, you know, <laughs> and then now, and now look at him, he's all grown up and then I'll do it again. Oh and I'll be like, oh, Aubrey was so cute before this last ceremony. Now he's all grown up. Yeah. And, that, and that process just continues to, continues to unfold. So the way you were talking about your approach to psychedelics, it sounds like a lot of this has to do with setting an intention, mm -hmm. even if it's a social situation and not a fully realize ceremonial context you can kind of bring a ceremonial mindset into that does that make sense to you yeah of okay. course so that the training you get from being in a ceremonial context right doing working with in ceremony where you realize that the the process is one of going deeper for your own self-betterment even through darkness right that when you're with a group of friends on a picnic day in the park with some mushrooms, there's that element to that that enables you to stay in an intentional relationship to the experience. Does that make sense? Yeah. And also just knowing that like, and, and, you know, we have had that experience, a couple grams of mushrooms in the, in, uh, outdoors in a little playground area. And it's just, it's just beautiful, but you know, you'll know that, all right, so if those hellish visions come where all of a sudden it's skulls and demons and fire and swords or spiders or whatever the hell your mind can conjure, you can look at that and not go like, oh my God, where am I going? Well, how will I ever get out? You look at that and go, oh wow, the dark side, I see you. That's beautiful too. And you know, and just kind of send it love and then it'll shatter into a thousand butterflies, you know, right, before right, you right. know it. And it's not going to freak you out. You know, like, it's just like, okay, here's, this is the, this is the movie that's playing as I flip through the astral channel right now. And, you know, this is kind of clearing through my mind and, and you don't, you don't attach your emotions to it. You don't attach these fears and these resistance points, this kind of like, oh my God, let me out of here. When is this trip going to end? What is going on? And it's those emotions and feelings and that resistance that ends up creating a bad trip and ends up creating unfinished work. But if you just kind of stick with it and go like, okay, well, here we are in hell. <laughs> let's see how, let's see it. Let's check it out. Let's look at it like it was a, like a beautiful painting of hell, you know, and let's explore it and see the nuances of it, but not get our emotions wrapped up in it. And sure enough, it'll change into something else and you can continue to move on. Yeah, so when you're in a, ayahuasca experience a lot of folks have encounters right like in, in dmt experiences in general but in ayahuasca ones sort of specifically because they, they have more time yeah. than a dmt experience to kind of unpack what's coming at you yeah and they've got it's a sense of a presence that's outside the self. Does that resemble? Does that resonate for Duh. you? Duh. Okay. Yeah. You know. I just want to make sure I'm not, you know, falling on deaf ears here. So, that thing that's outside the self. Do you find that that relationship evolves and changes as you do more medicine work over time? What is that? What is that thing out there? When is it dark sometimes? Why is it not so dark other times? 
what's yeah. going on there? You start to well, it separate it out. I mean, it doesn't seem like doesn't seem like one thing. It seems like there's multi-dimensional. We have multi-dimensional access, you know. And I think there's and the South American shamans they talk about you know nine dimensions. And you know I don't know if it's exactly nine, but you know I I think there's the final dimension wherever you can go. And I think we're you know the way I like to look at ourselves is we're like a toothpick that's through an onion, and the onion layers are all the dimensions, but we're the toothpick, and so we cover all of the dimensions. And so, from the very core dimension or the very outer dimension, depending on how you look, that's our connection to God. That's our connection to the unicity, to Source, to when the universe collapses into a single point, like the Big Bang, you know, where everything is one and nothing is differentiated, and God breathes as one, when one entity alone. You know, we're connected to that, and we carry that little piece with us in our heart. And I like so, the toothpick. That's yeah, good. so what that's the toothpick. The toothpick. Rainbow. rainbow. <laughs> what else would it be? I don't know. And so, so in the ninth dimension, you know, we we have access to that, and that's like a five meo DMT experience. You feel like you can go all the way to that identification point where you dissolve into the somatic body of the unicity, the universe, God, whatever your vocabulary permits. So you dissolve into that and you get to feel that kind of ninth dimensional presence and then drop down one level and it's more like an archetypal, you know, purview that you could call the eighth dimension where there's large forces, you know, Jesus, Lucifer, if you wanted to call it in the biblical sense, there's these kind of large polarities that you can kind of wrangle with that you can anthropomorphize very easily into beings or whatever, but they're really just archetypal forces. And then drop another level. Yeah, I just want to say, just, just with that, I have a lot of problems with the anthropomorphization of those energies. Right. Because the society does so much to go like, oh, you know, you're talking about God? Yeah, God's that white guy with a long beard sitting <laughs> on that chair over there, and he's got a staff, and he's going to fuck you if you don't do the uh, right yeah. thing. And it's like <laughs> yeah. the whole thing becomes so trapped in the storytelling of, and, of the of religiosity the, of, the, of, of either, and then becomes this, every religious thing and I really appreciate you noting that when you connect to this stuff the bodies, the human body aspect of it melts away. I mean there's yeah. an aspect that can show up that way but you know but it's that's, not that. It's not that. It's just a way for us to understand a collection of light and energetic force. How do we picture that when it splashes into our brain so we understand it. Well, maybe it's a fucking giant dude with horns. You know, like I, I've had visions of of the devil and, it, and he, you know, he's appeared to me as a world crusher, like large as large as the universe, giant flaming horns made of cosmic fire and, you know, like... Okay, that made sense to me, but that's not what he is. No, no, you know, that's not that's what it is. That's our a, brain. That's our brain. That's our brain trying to make sense. Trying of to make sense of an energy coming at <laughs> exactly. us. Exactly. And it's like, oh, picture it this way, and you're like, oh, I get that. <laughs> yeah. man, man. That guy's got horns. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Breathing fire. Yeah. Oh, okay, I get it. It's like, yeah. okay, thank you very much. That's uh, helpful. Anyway, I'm sorry. You're on the eighth dimension. Yeah. So, so it starts to break down into archetypal forces, and then you know, kind of the more helpful like soul level forces more and they would call that maybe the celestial would be the common terminology for that like the more angelic realms where it's like you have these guides that come to you that are seem completely outside of who you are but are incredibly helpful and valuable and and maybe and you know it feels like actually our higher self resides in that same in that same dimension and then we also have 
the personality, more personality-based realms, which you would call the astral down to the sixth dimension. So if that celestial, if you want to call it. I don't like these names because they have so much shit attached to them, but right. this is my experience of like our higher self, our, you know, that resides in the celestial in the seventh, and then we have the astral self, which is more of our personality self. It's a, it's a. These are beings that you can get into real arguments with, <laughs> you know. Oh, like they right. have, they have fears, they have motivations, they have a lot more will. It's a little bit more chaotic. Some are, some are good. Some are have less good intentions, and yep. it's this kind of. You're just dealing with like you're in the marketplace to a certain degree, uh -huh. in like the spiritual marketplace. And then, you know, you can go on down to the physical dimensions, you know, physical dimensions of dreams and reality and, and who we are, you know, in the material sense. Mm -hmm. and, and those are, you know, and that's typically where we identify on the toothpick. We identify purely on the material side, but we don't realize that we're the entire toothpick and we can change our point of identification, sometimes with the help of plants, and communicate with beings from these other these other dimensions or access ourself as these beings in other dimensions. And, and it's really, no, wait, wait, wait. slow down, access ourselves through these beings in other dimensions. How well, access ourselves as, as, be, as, as the beings. How have you experienced that? Well, it's something that like Paul Selig will talk about, you know, and, and what even Jesus Christ talked about in the mystical teachings, like I, understanding who we are. And our name, not as Aubrey Marcus, but our name as I am here, I am here, I am here. And that is, would be our seventh dimensional identification self, like that, that force that is constantly connected to God, the force that has been, you know, reincarnated into however many lives, that force that can choose physical expression or non-physical expression and is constantly guiding us through the lessons of our life. I love this. Now, first of all, for people who don't know Paul Selig, um, you recently, and I, I advise everybody to listen to that podcast. I thought your interview on your show with Paul was amazing. It was, Thank my, you. It was my favorite interview that he's done. He's a good friend. I mm -hmm. talk to him frequently. Could you explain to people who Paul is? Because I think that'd be well. Paul's Paul's an uh, you know an ordinary guy like you or I, and and he has opened up a connection to what he calls the guides and the guides would be in this kind of worldview that I've kind of painted here. These guys would be in that kind of celestial realm where they still have some form of identity, some form of personality, but they're purely benevolent beings that are trying to come through and be of service to humanity through Paul Selig. And they have a bit of a personality in that sometimes one of them will come through and they'll call everybody dear and then sometimes they'll have different other terminology and different ways that they'll do that. So it's a collection of different entities so, that he's able to access. I was super skeptical going in. Yeah, everybody know. should be. And I you think should healthy, be. healthy to be skeptical. Because, because and 9 out of 10 times, maybe 99 out of 100, you're probably going to be right. Right. You know, you're yeah. probably going to be right, and there's going to be a lot of person that's getting in the way of any message that's coming, or entirely all person. And, you know, there's a lot of people who've run a lot of scams and a lot of, a lot of different endless amounts of shenanigans in regards to this. But every once in a while, you know, something comes through. And when you just look at the body of his work and you look at the message, it is absolutely, undeniably valuable and seemingly impeccable. Like it's beyond reproach. Like there's no point at which he says something that you're like, 
eh, maybe not. <laughs> you yeah, know, yeah, like yeah, yeah. you just don't hear that. Yeah. So Paul's the first of the books is I am the word. Mm-hmm. It's a good place to start. The most recently published one was um, Book of Truth. The Book of Truth. It's my favorite. Yeah. Um, and there's another one coming out in the fall. In the book, there are practices. There are things that, that the guides suggest that you do as a way of developing your capabilities, right? Have you been working with those practices? Or are you reading through the books and yeah, trying to Yeah, I mean, I've been listening to the books on audio tape. Oh, yeah. And okay. I listened, I've listened to them through several times, and I'll just put them on. And I feel like any time I put them on, it's like a little reboot. And, and it's funny, I haven't put one on in probably about two weeks, and it's been one of the more challenging two weeks of my life. And I think it's just that natural instinct when you're in resistance and your ego takes a hold. You would even almost don't want to play the tapes because it's just going to remind you like, oh, man, of course. <laughs> All right, <laughs> here we are again. You know, here I am being dumb. You know, and, and uh, so it's probably about time I started playing those books again. That's sweet. And there, there are passages that the guide suggested you repeat that you read yeah. along with them as a way of embodying essentially the kind of energetic mission or energetic message that they're communicating i know who i am in truth i know what i am in truth i know how i serve in truth i am here i am here i am here Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, bit to get 30, bit to get 20, 20, 20, bit to get 20, 20, bit to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. I think a lot of folks now are having these moments where they're starting to see the stuff we're talking about. They're developing it in their own lives. But then they're thinking, how do I bring this into my daily, like my work? How I express myself through my daily actions beyond my relationships and my own personal practice, right? How do I turn this into something that's really in service and where, my, where I'm putting my creative energies into an alignment with my purpose, my higher purpose. It's a challenging thing to do. Yeah. Right? So I'm wondering how that works for you. Where do you, what do you tell yourself? You're, what do you actually tell yourself you're doing in the world? Well, I'm really blessed in that I don't have that, you know, I've been able to create exactly what I wanted to create. And, you yeah, know, how I, did you do that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. How did I do With a lot of help. You yeah. know, with a lot of help, a lot of guidance, a lot of, you know, I, I don't think I can fully take credit for anything positive that I've done. You know, I mean, it's mostly me getting out of the way whenever, whenever anything, anything good happens. And, um, you know, I, I think I'm, I'm here for a purpose. And part of that purpose is to help people become aware. And the reason I wrote this book you have right here on the table, Own the Day, Own Your Life, 
I wrote that to handle the base level of the pyramid, which is the human body and how it interplays with the human mind, and put together all of the intentional practices that'll take you through an entire day so that you can support the vessel so that the vessel becomes a bastion of strength rather than, you know, this basilisk of weakness, if you wanted to say, like something that's you're constantly out of your control and creating fear and, and lack of energy and then making it difficult to connect spiritually or mentally. So I wanted to create, and that's the same with on it, you know, I wanted to create a foundational piece to take care of this human body, give the instruction manual, give the tools to repair that, you know, to repair our organism and get ourselves in a strong, healthy, vibrant, vital state. So that in my subsequent books and with my subsequent work, we can start working on the heart and then we can start working on the spirit and then we can start working on community and, you know, hopefully leave this place a hell of a lot better than, than when we found it. Okay, so you've got your eye on the pyramid, basically. You're yeah. saying, like, bottom of the pyramid is the physical apparatus. Yep. Right. Got to take care of that first. That's where, that's ground zero. It's like, man, make sure you're eating the right stuff. Get yep. some exercise. Get enough sleep. Yep. Yeah, use all the natural doctors, light, air, you know, know how to breathe, know how to hydrate, know how to have sex, know how to move your body, know how to sleep, you the know, all of these The body is an things. extraordinary thing. Extraordinary. The body is it's a the fucking greatest, miracle. greatest gift that anybody could possibly imagine ever receiving. That's, the, that's where it all starts. And we live in a society where historically the religious world kind of turns its back on the body. Hmm. Right, there's a sense that 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 you, a monk, as a as a monk, you know, you're living a kind of antibody life. You're meditating or going, you know, you're 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 praying all the time, but you're not having sex. You're kind of not really physically engaged. I think there's a, and in fact, there's tremendous history of shaming, yeah, your connection to the body, in religious traditions and it's i feel like we're now it's like a massive kind of turning point in the west yeah because why people to be aware. why do we have a fucking body like right. you're gonna get there anyways what are you what are you in a rush for uh -huh. everybody like oh you're in a rush to dispose of the body now well you have one now you're about to not have one you're gonna have plenty of time to just connect purely as consciousness with source how about have fun while you're in this fucking body you know, how about that? Mm -hmm. How about that as a way to play the game? Yeah, how mean, about that as the reason why right. we have this thing? Right. I mean, do you get a hard on at the thought that you could offload your um, your consciousness into some machine someplace and that you're going to live forever no, by getting out of I the body? No, I know I'm going to live forever. Right, hello? <laughs> yeah. Exactly. We no. just get new bodies and new experiences. Yeah. And I don't want to get trapped in some fucking machine. It sounds like hell. The thing about the singularity that frankly does not connect for me at all is this notion that there's something better than the human body and that, you know, that by not connecting to your own deep physicality, uh, you're somehow going to transcend it to some other place that's better. It feels to me it's the total opposite, is that the deeper you can go into the amazingness of what's available to you through the body, the more accessible all these spiritual realms become. Yeah, And then you're in deep connection with the planet, with those who are around you, with love, with your heart, with the, with the openness of the sky. And the, you're able to be active in, in, in a positive way that raises the vibration of everything that you're engaging with. Amen.
Oh God, I didn't mean to go that way. But <laughs> <laughs> but um, but I love how you're 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 laying the foundation around the focus on the body, and you come at that because you're an athlete, mm-hmm. right? You play basketball. Yep. Were you a wrestler? No, but I've trained martial arts, you know, most of my life. So some jujitsu, some Muay Thai, some boxing, you know. Are you finding that when you talk about the spiritual stuff to the people who are connecting to you about how you take care of your body, that folks are picking that up? They are. And, and it's, it's because they don't look at me like some Indian ascetic who's let their body go or some monk who's different than them. It's like, no, nah, man, I'm like you. Like, what are, what are we doing today? Are we drinking whiskey and going chatting with girls at the bar? Cool, I'm in. You know, or are we, we you know, hitting the mats and we, you know, working out super hard? Okay, yeah, cool, I'm in. Oh, what are we doing? We're going wake surfing behind the boat today and drinking some beers? Okay, cool, I'm in. But hey, how about this? How about we go into ceremony and we, you know, f- go deep into our heart and see if there's any trauma there? How about we try and connect with these forces beyond you know, who we are and how about we do this too. And so the fact that I can connect with them on the levels where they're comfortable and they see me, oh, he's like me. This is same as me, but he's also doing this other stuff. Well, maybe I can give this other stuff a try. And I think that's been, you know, really cool to watch that people who would not normally even be open to it after I go through a few workouts and we do a few things on their level, in their comfort zone where they're ready to connect, then you know, when it comes to, you know, and I'll start planting the seeds like, hey, we're going down to Peru. Do you have any interest? And, you know, the first few years, it's going to be hell no. But then, you know, by year three or four, they're like, hey, man, I'd really like to go to Peru with you. You know, I was like, okay, here we go, you know. And it's it's just interesting to see. And I think the the problem is, is that everything's been polarized and people have allowed their ego to try and push down a different way of knowing the self, a different way of living. You know, so those who are very physically empowered have been pushing down those who are very spiritually empowered because that's threatening. And those who are spiritually empowered have been pushing down those who've been physically empowered because that's very threatening. And everybody's been in this antagonistic thing when really our birthright is all of it. Right. Our birthright is all the full spectrum. Totally. And what's interesting about the moment that we live in is that folks coming from all these different spiritual lineages from all around the planet are basically now networking with each other. Mm-hmm. and sharing practices. And so you're able to see like, oh, okay, I didn't realize that there was a tantric tradition in India, which is really about, you know, connecting to, you know, to, 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 to awareness through the body in a more deliberate way. Or, you know, there are, you know, the, the shamans in the Amazon have to go through a certain kind of process in order to be in tune with the spirits of nature that really involve pushing the body. Yeah. Right. And that there's, you know, this wide range of ways of getting access to that kind of awareness. Absolutely. And now we're in a place where we can sort of look at all of that and start to see what's going to make sense in the 21st century for somebody who can really take advantage of everything that's available and how to make yourself happy in the process and give yourself like a really good time. And we need all the practices, you know, because the world has taken us 
We have every opportunity for distraction. We have every opportunity for self-medication. We have every opportunity to go the other way, but we also have every opportunity to fix ourselves. And not that we're broken, actually we're already whole, but every opportunity to course correct into a life more fully expressed, more fully aligned with source, more fully in love. And, you know, so we have all the tools coming and a lot of these tools are going to be coming legal soon too, which is really going to shift, shift how things are in the world. Yeah, for real. So when you wrote this book, Own the Day, Own Your Life, did you have somebody in mind, a particular person in mind who the book was for? Yeah, younger me. Younger you. Younger what me. What age? Age what? You know, from, well, <laughs> I mean, 16 and up. You know, I would say like before or after your uh, your your well, first medicine all experience, of, all of it. Oh yeah, all of it. You know, as soon as actually probably even younger, as soon as I started being an athlete. I mean, a lot of these things, like I said, this is about the using the natural elements. You know, like how to breathe right. Like we should be, we shouldn't be. You know, after every pre- pledge of allegiance. And actually, what was cool is that one of my book launches, someone was talking about this because there's a study in there that says six deep breaths will actually lower your blood pressure and start to create a state change. You know, I was talking to a teacher who came to one of my book signings and was like, hey, I'm teaching this, some of this stuff to, to the kids. And I was like, that's awesome. Like, so the kids know, all right, if I'm getting upset, if I'm angry, if I'm flustered, six deep breaths, that's what I need to do. And then they can start to take conscious control over their emotions. And so this book, you know, while I wrote it for me and my probably in my 20s, you know, a lot of it's going to apply to people a lot earlier because it's really, it's not about taking some fancy supplement or some fancy biohack. Yeah, I mentioned some of that stuff in there, but really it's about using these natural elements around us and using our human body in a way that's going to unlock the potential that we already have. So you take people through a full day. A full day. In the book. What you eat, what do you do when you first get up, eat, what kind of exercise you should do, all the way through nighttime and sleep. Yeah, when the best time to have a glass of wine is when you know some ways to think about sex some ways to think about journaling some you know everything everything is included in there workplace workplace efficiency what you should do on your way to work in the car i mean we try to cover an entire day and when you connect to your body and what it needs to be healthy a deeper level of spiritual connection also becomes available to you even if all you have is is processed foods you know you can still take the bun off your burger you know you can still make some certain choices that are going to help manage blood sugar and you can sure as shit take the minimum effective dose of the free doctors again breath cold hot sun sleep sex like you know take your recommended daily movement take your recommended daily recommended daily allowance of those and then just you know as i said take you know take the buns out of your big mac and like make some decisions that are going to help and use that as a bridge until you can get to a state you know like nothing's going to be perfect no, no well, one's going to be in a perfect situation no and it doesn't happen overnight and we all have gone through this process of like going from man i need a second big mac yeah to well I'm actually a little hypoglycemic. Yeah. Maybe I should stop eating all of that sugar. And it's like, oh, what happens when I stop eating that sugar? It's like, oh, you start to respond a little bit. The body goes through changes. And it happens in phases. It doesn't happen like overnight. It doesn't happen right away. And so just taking the step, taking the first step in this direction, sometimes that's the hardest thing because it means you got to uncouple yourself from the group thing mm-hmm. that you're not even aware you're in. 
right? Yeah. But then when you start to take that walk, you'd be amazed where it will lead, where it can lead if you're paying attention and noticing what's coming at you, what you're inviting in because you're taking the walk. Right? Does that resonate for you? Of course. Yeah. Of course. So, so your book, in many ways, it feels like that's one of the, it's like, it's a fantastic way to, for people to open into this. Yeah, this is, you know, every one of these chapters has been and could be an entire book. Okay, what's the morning routine? Okay, what's the, you know, how do you use breath in the cold? That's been a book or a couple of different books. And then, all right, what's your nutrition plan? Well, that's another book. And then, you know, so, but I, you don't want 16 books to figure out what you're going to do for a single day. So we took all of those clinical academic references. We put it all into a day that really makes sense and a day that can support a fully expressed life and a life that's worth living, a life that you're really going to enjoy. I really appreciate you taking the time. Yeah, man. This, man. this is awesome. Yeah, it's been great to chat with you. It's been great to chat with you. Um, so people, you all should check out onit.com, Aubrey Marcus. Dot com the podcast mm-hmm. and uh, own the day own your life probably has its own website every book's got its own website yeah own the day book.com and then on social media I'm probably most a- active on Instagram so always writing my latest thoughts there so that's at Aubrey Marcus take it easy have a great day all right sounds good brother I want to give thanks again to Aubrey Marcus for being on the show and thanks to you for joining us here on The Evolver. You can follow us on Instagram at The Evolver Podcast and on Facebook at Evolver Social Movement. Remember to subscribe to The Evolver on iTunes or on the podcatcher of your choice. We'd love to know what you think. Please post a review to iTunes or email us at theevolver at evolver.net. I want to thank our producer, Jose Alfaro, and the whole ACAST team. Our theme music is Measure by Measure by Paul D. Miller a.k.a. DJ Spooky, from his album, The Secret Song. And our interstitial music is Sunu by The Human Experience and Rising Appalachia. That's all for now. We'll be back next week. Find the others. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started.